Um, so my name is Lindy. I'm from Hope Church, Auckland Park. So I'm going to be reading for us Second Peter, chapter 3. We're reading from verse 1 to 18. It reads as follows. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of the water and by the water. By these waters, also the world of that time was delarged and destroyed. By the same word that presents heaven and earth, uh, by the same word, the present heaven and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position, but grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Thank you, Lindy. Okay, one other thing that you don't know about me. Probably there's a lot of things you don't know about me, but anyway... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we haven't got that much time. Um, I'm a huge David Bowie fan. <laughs> um, and in my 20s, I was in London, 
Um, and actually, my return ticket was due to leave in July, and the tour dates came out for David Bowie, and he was coming in August, and I was like, well, I'm just not going home then. So I didn't. <laughs> Delayed my return flight, um, and on the day, I mean, you know, going to a concert, you know, it's all about the revelry, and I, I was like, no, this is about seeing David Bowie. This wasn't about the fun and the party, this was about seeing David Bowie. And so... I planned everything to the finest detail. You know, examined the timetable of the trains, what time does it get there, how far is it from the station to walk into the stadium, um, you know, it, getting that right and how much is your walking time. Let me, make, let me make sure I get there early because if I get there too late, then I'm sitting way at the back. I want to be right up at the front. I mean, I want to see him face to face. Um, but then if I get right to the front, you know how it is. There's like, you know, a few bands before. And what if I need to go to the bathroom? No, not going to drink anything, not going to eat anything, <laughs> not going to move from my spot. Um, whatever I needed to take, I took with me. Um, and we got quite close to the front. We were actually about two or three rows from the front. And then stood and waited and waited and waited and waited. Saw some other bands. Um, and then the lights dimmed. And you know when they hold the hold the cord on the piano, <laughs> and 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 I was I was in the front, but I'm on my tiptoes, and you're scanning the whole stage because you're not sure where he's going to appear from. You know, is he going to come from the side? Is he going to come from the back? Where is he going to come from? And so I remember standing on my tippy toes, looking over everyone's head. Where is he? Where is he? Where is he? And the next minute, he was there. I was there, face to face with David Bowie. I nearly died. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to see him on a screen. I wanted to see him face to face. <laughs> and I did. Um, and I was so, and there he was, like, I just, I couldn't believe it. And chapter three is exactly that expectation that we get. Um, that, that, that expectation that one day we are going to see Jesus face to face. Um, and we're going to, we look forward to that hope of glory. And that's the expectation that Peter wants us to have, um, as we come to this chapter. And so in this last session, we see the call to readiness. How do we prepare for that? What does Peter tell us about? So let's just take a moment to pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, yes. Um, with the things of this world, um, it can seem that everything is overwhelming. It can seem that your return is too far away. But Lord, what this chapter reminds us of is that you will return, um, that suffering will come to an end. Um, and that you will return to call your people home. And so, Lord, we want to be people who live um, in that readiness, waiting for your return. So, Lord, as we see what Peter has to say to us, as what your word has to say to us, let us know how to live in that now-not-yet time as we wait for your return. And we ask this in your precious name. Amen. So throughout the New Testament, the second coming um, of Jesus is a strong motivation for turning away from wickedness and making every effort to live upright and blameless lives. And Peter's argument is that we do not want to be found um, engaging in unholy actions um, when Jesus appears. And there were those who scoffed at the thought of Jesus returning. We saw that in the reading. Um, and not much has changed today. Sometimes it can be an, outwi an, an outright objection um, to the final day of judgment, of people just not believing that there is one. 
But even if it's not that direct opposition that there is a final day of judgment, um, we just need to look at the world around us. We're certainly not living as people that are expecting a day of judgment and expecting it imminently. A day when we will be held accountable before our maker. And so let's have a look at what Peter says. He gives us an important reminder in verse 3. He says, Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. So when the scoffers come, don't forget the basics. Remember what the apostles and the prophets taught. So Peter wants us to be stimulated by wholesome thinking, allowing the word to shape our thinking and not let the world dictate our thoughts and actions. His concern is that Christians are going to wonder from what the apostles taught. And that's why these type of gatherings are so important. We've got to make time to regularly be reminded of the wholesome truths of the gospel. All through the Old Testament, Israel is told to remember. Remember who you are. Remember who your God is. Why? Because we forget. And we are no different. We forget who we are if we are, when we are in Christ. We forget that sometimes. Who am I? I belong to the King of Kings. I am a daughter of the King. If I have put my trust in Christ, I am a daughter of the King. And we forget who our God is, that he is a God who saves. But we are reminded of these truths when we sit under the word on a morning, like whether it's a Sunday morning or whether it's a morning like this. But we're also reminded of the gospel when we speak to one another over a cup of coffee, when we're sitting in our Bible study groups. I'll never forget, I was in a particularly dark place and kind of going, yeah, I kind of believe this, but I'm not sure how personal it is right now. And Lord, I'm not really sure what to do with you. And I had a friend of mine asking questions. And I remember walking home after that and thinking, I do believe this. And I I actually walked away thinking, Lord, I think you gave me that, that conversation more to remind me of the gospel than remind her of the gospel. And I was so encouraged by that because verbally speaking it, I was reminded of who my God is, And who I am, that I belong to him. The wholesome thinking that Peter's talking about means we'll bear the full test of being examined under spotlight. That's quite heavy. To be transparent and honest when it comes to the truth that you're holding on to. Not to be found wanting. So that they will be effective and productive, which is what we saw in 1.8. We're only doing the two sessions today, um, and so we're not going to be looking fully at what chapter 2 says or the end of chapter 1 and chapter 2, but it is helpful to know the issues that Peter was raising in them. And there were two main issues that he dealt with. The false narrative going around was, one, that these stories about Jesus and his return were made up, and the second false narrative was there won't be a final judgment. And Peter counteracts these by confirming that he is an eyewitness to the power of majesty of Jesus, and that's in chapter 1, verse 16, and that the words of the prophets spoken were from God, and that's in chapter 1, verse 19. 
And the scriptures show us that God, who rescues his people and punishes the righteous. And you see that in chapter 2, verse 4 to 10. So when we read verse 2 of chapter 3, which says, I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles, we are meant to think back to the proof and the authenticity of the scriptures that he laid out at the end of chapter 1. So Peter's concern is that the false teachers were infiltrating the church and leading believers astray with their deceptive teaching, which led to destruction. And in chapter 2, Peter expresses in very strong language just how these false teachers lead others astray and the consequences of their actions. And so when he gets to chapter 3, he attacks their false doctrine head on. Have a look at verse 3. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming? He promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of the water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and the earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. The last days he's talking about are between Christ's first appearance and his second coming. And Peter's hearers were in the last days. We are in the last days. The warning that scoffers would come was as relevant in Peter's day as it is today. They are here now, among us, and their teaching is dangerous because it directly opposes what the Christian faith stands on. So think about what the scoffers were saying. Is God really coming back? Doesn't it make you think of the Garden of Eden? Did God really say you must not eat of any tree of the garden? What is the serpent's ploy? To tempt Eve to doubt God's word. And that is exactly what is happening here. So by mocking the return of Christ, they are questioning God's willingness and his ability to intervene. The accusation is that nothing has changed since Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all those that follow. And this may seem like a harmless statement on the surface. And there are many times I've been tempted to think just like that, as I look at my life and the world around me. But then if I say that, what I'm saying is that Jesus has brought no change. That even though Jesus has come, everything is the same as it was in the Old Testament. So they deliberately choose to forget that God, by his word, has chosen to intervene in this world. And Peter uses the example of the creation and the flood. Why would he not intervene again and deliver on his promise of judgment? Because the same word that brought the creation and the flood and saved Noah is the same word that sustains the world in these last days. And the same word that will bring the day of judgment. 
verse 5, but they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of the water and by the water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. A picture of how and even when the truth is, is right in front of us. We can deceive ourselves for our own selfish gain. And so secondly, have a look in this chapter, the certainty of judgment. But God did not forget this one thing, dear friends. But sorry, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Again, Peter is urging his readers not to forget what the false teachers were deliberately forgetting. Go back and see what the scriptures say about God. Have a look what he says there in Psalm 90 verse 4, the quote, A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. It is not because of God's inability to intervene that delays judgment, but rather it's an expression of his grace. Extending the time in which men and women can be rescued. There is both comfort and warning in these words because there will come a time when the period of extended grace comes to an end and the day of judgment will come. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Everything that God has made and done, and everything that God, mankind has made and done will be laid open in full view of him. This is a terrifying picture that Peter conjures up. But don't be tempted to let your imagination um, set the scene for you. If we rely on that, we manufacture a God who is too small to be the creator, judge, and savior of the universe, which is precisely what the false teachers were doing. Instead, rely and trust on the character of God, seen in his word, a character that is perfect in every way and will take all eternity to get to know. Peter is urging you to know our God so that we are ready to encounter him on that day of judgment, encounter a personal God when the day comes. And as we've seen again and again, this time of readiness is not passive. Like we saw in the first session, make every effort three times. And as we see it here, Peter emphasizes in these verses, in verse 11, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward, waiting for it, waiting for the day that God, of God and speed its coming. The day will bring about destruction of the heavens and the, of, by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. No one thought that planes would fly into the World Trade Center, but it happened. 
No one thought the entire world would go into lockdown until it happened. People live as if Judgment Day is a fairy tale until it happens. Judgment is coming, and that affects how we live now. And so, as we wrap up, how ought you to live? There are three things. Godly lives. See how Peter calls us to live in the light of the coming judgment? Not to panic, but to be patient, be in patient godliness. You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. This is quite a weird idea. Our godly lives speed the coming of judgment. The more people come to Christ, the closer we are reaching that final total of numbers of the future kingdom. And again in verse 14, Peter calls us to make every effort. Twice in these verses, Peter calls us to the hard work of godliness in the light of the coming judgment. And three times he calls us to look forward to that judgment. You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. So look forward can also be meant wait for. And I think that's a far more positive way of looking at it, a positive context, looking forward. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. It's that expectation standing on our tiptoes, looking, waiting expectantly. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless and blameless and at peace with him. We look forward to Judgment Day, to see our Savior face to face. The world is not looking forward to that day. But we as God's people cry out for that day because we can't wait to see Jesus come back and set things right It is the Christian who knows just how broken and rotten and unjust and brutal and prejudiced and selfish and wicked this world is. Have we not just seen the stats? We feel it. Our God feels it. And we know it because we know our own hearts. And so we do look forward to the God of justice putting the world right just as in Jesus he has put us right in him. And we make every effort to live out godly lives that that day draws closer and closer. And again, we see that waiting for Jesus is not passive. Make every effort. So just like my waiting to go see David Bowie wasn't passive, all my activity was focused on the coming event, on preparing, on planning, on waiting How much more our waiting for Jesus is not passive. And so we speed its coming by living godly lives, witnessing for Jesus with our lives and our words. Our heavenly mindedness does not make us of no earthly use, but actually of great earthly use, as the old saying goes. Waiting for Jesus means living for Jesus. Not sitting around staring at the clouds, waiting for his return. And while we wait for that day, Peter says we also ought to live with patient lives. 
So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless and blameless at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. So again, like in verse 9, Peter brings up why Jesus' return is delayed. The opportunity of salvation is still here. In this now-not-yet time, people can come to Christ. So even in the midst of terrible things that are happening in this world, people can come to Christ. There are awful things happening. There's a war in Ukraine. There's appalling justice in our world. Wicked things happening around the world. But even with all this, the worst is still to come after Judgment Day. Which means that now is the time to tell people the gospel. Now are the gospel opportunity times. So think of all of those who need to hear that Jesus took the full wrath of God on the cross and paid the price for our sins. And to trust him means salvation on that day of judgment. Some of those people are closer to our hearts than others. And we bring them to the Lord every day in prayer. And our hearts ache for them. Now is the gospel opportunity times. And God, in his mercy, delays his return for the sake of those who still need to come to him. So Peter comes to the end of his video chat and he leaves us just with what he started with in chapter 1. Just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him, he writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do the scriptures to their own destruction. We live in a world where God's word is misunderstood, misinterpreted, misrepresented. And sub-ignorant people will even twist and distort the scriptures. And we see this so starkly today, where God's word is being deliberately distorted to say the opposite of what it teaches in areas of sexual morality, gender distinctiveness. People do this to their own destruction. And so this brings us to our third action in the light of judgment. God guarded lives. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawlessness and fall from the secure position. Be on your guard. Don't let your guard down because you think you are standing secure. Our hearts are willful and stubborn and need to be consciously brought back to the scriptures and the glorious gospel of grace. Remember, I spoke about how easily we forget the gospel. I just wanted to highlight one important aspect of being on your guard, and it's all through the letter of Peter. You cannot be on your guard alone. The the lawless false teacher's tactic was to isolate and to indoctrinate. They wanted to get you away from God's people and caught up in the world's people. Think about it. Any cult wants to isolate you. Where the gospel is growing and the gospel is happening, it's about being in community and walking together, bearing with one another as you bear each other's burdens. And we need to be guarding ourselves together. These kind of gatherings, again, we need them. And women particularly, we're good at it. We really are. And we need to continue in that. 
where we encourage each other and challenge one another, stand together, walk together. Beware of being a loner. I know it's easy, when things, especially when things are going hard, it's easy to pull away. It's not a good place to be, but you think it's better. And believe me, there are sisters sitting here with you who understand more than you realize. Make a plan to connect. I, during lockdown, um, like I mentioned, I was not in a great space. It was at the same time. I was struggling to read God's word. I felt like there were words on a page. I felt like I couldn't connect to them. Um, and I'd kind of walked a long journey of that on my own. And as I sat in lockdown, I kind of, I didn't want to reach out. <laughs> Because this pride's got something to do with that. I didn't want to admit to anyone I was struggling. But I did have four or five friends around the country that I knew were going through their own things too. So I reached out and I said, hey, I'm struggling to read my Bible. I need someone to hold me accountable to read. And so we started meeting on Zoom together. Each with our own struggles. Each of them I'd walked a journey with. And we started with Job. <laughs> and I think for the first six months, we all just cried through it. <laughs> I can't even tell you what the book of Job was about, to be quite honest. I mean, besides the obvious. Um, but it was having a place. God's word was opened. Did it mean that the first time I met with them, everything came to light and I was fine after that? No. But it was as we walked together, as we cried together, as I came some days going, I don't want to be here, um, but I'm here because I know I need to be here. And we, we still meet today. <laughs> and we encourage each other in our walk with the Lord. You need people around you that are able to do that. So being on your guard means standing firm and with the confidence in the word of God even as the onslaught of the world hits us. And sometimes you need to say that to someone. I feel completely overwhelmed. Or oh, I'm devastated. Or oh, I'm really struggling. Walk with me. Pray with me. Read with me. So this also may mean that you choose to discard some of those things that are unhelpful in our growth. I know lockdown for me was not great in the sense that, oh, it just became more like I can watch the next binge series. It was hard to get out of that. We were in there for a long time. Is this helpful to my growth? No, I'm not saying you can never watch TV. <laughs> but you know, when the hours just roll by, or I've just been scrolling on my Facebook because I don't want to face the reality of the world, am I choosing things that are helpful for my growth? Or am I hiding behind distractions? And maybe some of those things need to be left behind today. 1 Peter, as I said, was about stand secure in the hope you have. But 2 Peter says, don't just stand. Make sure you're growing. And so verse 18 finishes, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. Grow in the hope that you have. 
Often if you're struggling to grow in the hope you have, you've forgotten the hope you had. So go back to your scriptures and remind yourself of the, of the hope that you have. Ask someone to remind you of the hope that you have. Grow in the grace that he lavishes on us. And as we are captured by his moral beauty, so we should desire to become more Christ-like. And if we are growing in grace and knowledge, then the knowledge will never become puffed up pride, but will lead to awe and worship of our gracious Savior. This is what Peter calls wholesome thinking. Let's pray. Oh, our Heavenly Father, Lord, we have heard from your word today. We have heard of the hope that we have, and we have heard that it is by your grace alone that transforms and shapes us. But Lord, we know that we put barriers in the way, and we make excuses, and we, because we want to hide, because we don't want to be vulnerable, because it's hard, because it costs But Lord Jesus, break through those barriers today. Expose in our hearts those things that just are in the way of us growing in a knowledge of you. Lord, I pray that some of the conversations that have taken place today will grow in encouragement as we encourage each other as sisters in Christ to remind each other of the gospel, to remind each other of our gracious Savior. Oh, Lord Jesus, grip our hearts once again that we are wicked sinners and you decided to lavish your love on us. Lord, let that grip our hearts today. And we ask this in your precious name. Amen.